0: Welcome to Screen Talk, Awards weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Editor-at-Large Ann Thompson in Los Angeles. And I'm actually kind of nearby you, in, relatively speaking, since usually I'm talking to you from New York. I'm in Seattle right now for the film festival, just kind of hanging out. Saw Dragon Inn in 4K the other night. Nice. And, uh, you know, taking a little break from New York for a week and change to see how things are on this part of the country but uh, it's an interesting time of the year because i wouldn't say it's one of our busier moments relatively speaking we don't have any major festivals going on we don't have a lot of award season stuff happening you just did uh, our first emmys edition of screen talk with michael schneider because that's re- really what seems to be consuming a lot of the entertainment media circuit at this point but there is something worth talking about in terms of where we are at this time of the year uh, in a broader sense because we're halfway through 2016, which means we've got half a year's worth of movies to look at. So earlier this week, we did our list of the best movies of the year so far, and there's a lot to talk about there, and unsurprisingly, we have a lot of different movies on our list. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your number one choice?
1: Well, I think we should count down. We should start, you know, with the fifth and 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 move move our way uh, move our way up. Oh, if I, anyone
0: wants to spoil it, they can just Google it. Google it.
1: And, and, and in fact, um, just just to to remind myself of of, I believe that my fifth choice is uh, a war, and a war was the Danish entry for the Oscar. And it came out in 2016, and it's directed by this very gifted screenwriter who's also now a director. He did a hijacking. His name is Tobias Lindholm. Tobias. And, oh, I'm a terrible pronouncer. <laughs> pronouncer. Um,
0: I, I did a QA and a with him once. In the oh, day. no,
1: this is how you learn. This is definitely uh, how, you <laughs> how you learn. Um, and he is, um, you know, I mean, he's remarkable. He's already working with... Um, the 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 Bourne uh, series, uh, Paul Greengrass. Paul yeah. Greengrass. He He's has working a very with him.
0: Greengrass style to the kind of films. Yeah.
1: Very, you know, very journalistic, extremely naturalistic, and so this one ta- is a is a, a movie that's on two fronts. It's on the home front and it's on on the war front in Afghanistan. And it follows this ex- this captain who's put under unbelievable duress and how his family deals with it and how he deals with it. And it's all based on this idea that when a guy comes back from the war, what he's most you know aware of. This he read an article the the Tobias Lind Tobias Lindholm wrote, read an article about how, it if you know he was more worried about being court-martialed for what he what he did, you know, than than anything else. So this takes that idea and puts him in a situation where he has to make decisions, and he ends up doing something that ends up putting him uh, in court. Um, I thought
0: this was a really interesting movie as a kind of companion piece to his previous one, A Hijacking. Yeah they're both sort of magnifying these events take for granted through you know the distance that media allows a war a hijacking terrible things that you don't realize also can sometimes be boring and diplomatic what i found kind of intriguing about a war i I mean i I wasn't as won over by it as as you were because i think it's a little uneven in parts but I, i think what's really intriguing is the way in which it's split into these two parts in which First, you get the experience of the war, and then there's this whole courtroom element that breaks it down in ways that completely redefine how it's being perceived. That's very
1: well put, yes. And the other thing about it is that it stars this amazing actor, Pilo Azbek, who you may or may not know his name, but you've seen him in a lot of things. Anyone who's seen... Tobias, Tobias Lindholm's other uh, series, R and, and Borgen, that he worked on. Um, but he's also a new character in, in Game of Thrones. He's one of the, um, he's the guy who's, who's, who. Took, oh God! I this is one of those things where I have to be able to remember the, the names mythology of Game of, of all, Thrones. No, there are, are these different. They're these different groups of fa- You know, I'd have to. He's let's, just suffice it to say, he's he's one of the new characters in Game of Thrones. He's one and, of those
0: bearded guys running around in the. Forest. Well, he's he's
1: a he's a, a murderer who has who has you know literally uh, thrown a king off a bridge in order to take over uh, his kingdom, um, and then there's he's also coming up. In uh, Ghost in the Shell, he's just one of these great actors that we're going to hear a lot more from over time. Uh, what was your fifth?
0: The so number five for me. Well, I mean, I actually had a top ten, but I don't want to get too epic here in terms of everything. Let's keep I, it to
1: five. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I'll jump all the way down. Let, let me. I'll just say really quickly. My my the other five from ten are the Treasure, the Romanian film. The Fits, which I think is a really striking Which is in line. theaters so now In theaters now, Kreisha, really really Remarkable uh, story of a woman's Alcoholism, that's number 8 Number 7 is Chevalier, Athena and Which Tunkari's, we both love, yep uh, Really fun Greek uh, buddy movie of sorts uh, Then Everybody Wants Some um, The Linkletter film, and number 5 uh, Is Creative Control A movie that did not get talked about Enough, when it came out this year This is a film that I actually thought should have won the grand jury prize when it premiered last year at the south by southwest film festival it's this filmmaker benjamin dickinson's black and white dystopian narrative about a very near future uh brooklyn hipster tech guy who develops these virtual reality glasses and creates a virtual girlfriend for himself modeled on a coworker he has a crush on it's funny and strange with this brazil-like satire to it that I think is, is almost too close for comfort because it really does feel like a world that uh, could be right around the corner. Reggie Watts has a, this really hilarious supporting role in it as himself um, and the way that it kind of parodies the tech industry's tendency to take itself too seriously, I think it's just spot on. It's, it's really one of the more striking science fiction films I've seen in a long time, certainly made in the United States and this was a movie that was released by Amazon and uh, really, just I, I I don't know what the disconnect was. It just did not get the kind of traction that I wish it had. So people really should check out Creative Control. I think it's uh, one of the, one of the more striking uh, science fiction films, but also just one of one of the better pieces of of American filmmaking to come out so far this year. Well, it got by, it got by
1: me as as well. So I um my fourth is Everybody Wants Some. So we both we both like uh, the the latest. Richard Linklater movie, which didn't take off either. Um, by the way, um, it didn't
0: flop terribly. No,
1: no, it was small. It was. It's what you would call a success Um but it's it's a college comedy, very male, very much about a group of guys who are living together because they're on the baseball team together, and their experience. You know, as opposed to Dazed and Confused, which is ten years ago, um, this one. Isn't about you know all the all the guys and gals you know uh, sort of contained in the within the rules of high school. This is about the freedom that you discover when you go to college. But it's also about a much more gender segregated world. And in, and in the process of showing how you know this lead guys world sort of opens up and how he you know starts to learn about about the sophisticated women uh, that you can meet in college. He he's also giving you a, a survey. Of of, of where the music world was at that time. And that's actually one of the most satisfying aspects of of the movie. So I highly recommend it if you've
0: missed it. What do you think about this piece that uh, Amy Nicholson did, which I, I don't I don't know if I, I, I would agree with it, but I thought it was a very well-formulated piece that I knew somebody was going to write, which was, this is a movie Richard Linklater should have made 20 years ago, and the gender politics are so backward, it's sort of frustrating to see him make this kind of dude movie in which the women are mostly sex objects now.
1: I disagree that that's what he does. I think, I think it's shocking that he made a movie that was so male in, in the context. I agree with that in the context of, of the, um, sexual politics of the day, and in the context of a man, you know, a person, Richard Linklater, who is capable of understanding women and giving them their due. It it, it, it feels, but the, the one woman, and there's only one, who is the sophisticated dancer, artist, um, Representative, you know, she's she's not a babe. She's not just a sex object.
0: Um, there's no, she, something I more think to he her. Talks so eloquently in this movie. I think that's what's so striking about it is that it creeps up on you. You're like at first it's sort of like, uh, this is kind of a silly college movie and then they sit down and have a five minute conversation. It gets into really abstract existential terrain. And then even though it doesn't always land on the biggest point, it, it's it's a Linkletter movie. You kind of go with the flow and all of a sudden you're in a deeper place than you expected to be in the first place.
1: I agree with that. But the other point is, is that if, if Richard Linklater wants to make a movie about a, 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 a pad of guys who are baseball stars, you know, he can do that. You know, it's just, it is a little bit, I see where I see Nicholson's point that it's a little bit surprising to be coming now. Or-
0: the, the other thing that, that if you really want to read into it and, and he has validated this reading is that there, you could say there is something homoerotic about a bunch of dudes living in a house together and hanging out together in the way that they do in this movie.
1: Also, he did write it and, uh, you know, conceive it 10 years ago. So, and that's one of the reasons why it feels like it's out of date.
0: Yeah. And it's based on some of his own experience. Exactly.
1: So what's your, what's your, what's your fourth one?
0: So number four for me is the witch, which, uh, We also included on a recent list of the best horror movies of the last 20 years, deservedly so. I mean, it's such a striking debut for writer-director Robert Eggers and so much of a consolidation of many different kinds of horror traditions. It's spooky and it's scary, but it's also got this psychological element where the supernatural component of the movie is kind of hovering right outside the frame for much of the running time. And even when it's there... You're not, it's not totally clear what you're seeing, but it does such a good job of creating a believable world. I mean, the period detail is astonishing that they created dialogue based on letters from the the time of the Salem witchcraft t- trials, uh, 1630, uh, roughly, and, and the, the clothes people wear in the house and all these different kinds of things that I think – could have been just sort of neglected by a lesser filmmaker. And so not only is it one of the more extraordinary debuts in a long time, I think it's a great example of why the horror genre can do certain things that people often don't realize. It's something like The Conjuring 2. I liked aspects of it, but that's a movie that, that's trying to create this wild ride in a way that I think cheapens the material in a way. And the William Castle tradition of horror filmmaking is that to a large degree, but... Uh, this is a movie that, that is a reminder of, of what smart horror can do, much in the way that something like The Shining or, or, or something on that level is really trying to push the genre to be more profound and complex.
1: I loved the witch. It scared the bejesus out of me. It is impeccably made. It's one of those things that takes you into a world that's very far away and exotic in a way um, and and puts you right in there. And and because these people are have vivid imaginations and don't know what's out there and don't know the reasons for why things happen, it becomes very frightening. It, it, there's a there's a supernatural element to it, but you don't know whether it's real. I loved that movie. Um, my third uh, choice is Born to Be Blue, uh, Robert Boudreau's low key portrait of melancholy jazz junkie Chet Baker, um, and Ethan Hawke, who uh, is finding his stride. You know, now that he's forty five, you know he's older. He's got a little more gravitas. He's a great actor. And he really delivers, uh, in this role. And it's not just, um, a biopic. It just gives us a slice during a particular period when, when the, uh, jazz man was, was trying to make a comeback. And this wonderful actress, um, played by the great Carmen Ajogo, who you may remember from Selma, uh, brings, uh, some strength and support to him that he needs. And, uh, not only, what I loved about it, too, it's a sexy movie. It's not only about uh, uh, their relationship, but, but she makes him a better man. She makes him a better lover. And uh, and he, you know, the jazz uh, c- comes out really well as, as a result. So uh, I recommend this one. Um, I think, you know, he has a shot at some kind of Oscar uh, recognition, but early in the year. So
0: very hard to keep that going and the movie Um, wasn't a slam dunk
1: no not a hit not a big fuss made uh you know that's that's hard to come back from
0: very good reviews i i have not yet seen it i mean it it was one of those things that was sort of hard to get to in the fall festival circuit and has eluded me since and i I plan to see it but it it is one of those things where a, a movie like this It's just it sometimes gets away from you, especially, you know, when that movie came out. There were these other music biopics uh, that we talked about before, like the Don Cheadle, Miles uh, Miles Davis. Not nearly as good. But it got a lot more attention. And and I think uh, that's interesting. So I I, I hope to check it out. Another actor who I think is, is really starting to enter his prime is Colin Farrell which leads me to to my number three choice on on my list, The Lobster, our pal Yorgos Lanthimos, making this English-language debut. I'm so glad this movie came out, since it it was previously picked up by Alchemy, a company that had all this kind of financial trouble, and they passed it along to A24, which did, I think, an amazing job. They really
1: ran with the ball. It's a hit. It's a big hit.
0: did really well, which is crazy. This is a movie about uh, a near-future world which obviously is a thing for me because I got creative control on there too. but where being single is illegal, and if you're single, you have to be transformed into an animal. I mean this is not an easy selling point in in the in the you know as a log line, but it's such a fun, offbeat kind of movie that it has some real things to say about the certain kinds of social mores that we take for granted, and, and yet it's doing it in a way that allows you to just kind of roll with the the kind of strangeness of it, and there's a consistency to its world, which is true of Lanthimos' other films. That's his like, true
1: ob- achievement here, is that yeah. he made, he got everybody on board, he got the actors in there, and he managed to create this immersive world that makes perfect sense and you buy it and you just go there and that's I think this is a, the definition of an art house is because it's significantly unusual it's such an unusual movie that you you feel like you've never seen anything like it before and that is a true gift to but any moviegoer it's also
0: not an empty moviegoer goer. I mean it's there's no it's, you can
1: relate to it
0: yeah and I think it, it and is it's funny. It's a, he, and it's funny and just the way that he's uh, he portrays this kind of schlumpy loser of sorts <laughs> and, and yet the situation is, is so strange I mean it, there's something universal about it I also think it's Lantimos's gentlest film I remember when I first saw Dogtooth and, and you know it's a terrifying movie in certain ways but they are both about these kind of dysfunctional societies that are really restrictive in terms of how you relate to other people and things like that so I'm, I'm really curious to see how this career progresses both uh, with, with Lantimos and and with Colin Farrell, I think they're going to actually work together on another English-language film next. So this is actually one of the more exciting developments, I think, uh, in terms of f- filmmakers coming over to make English-language features in a long time because uh, he, this, the fact that this movie works sends a really strong message. I'd m- much rather see something like this than a lot of stuff that's out there. And um, these are people who can really get the job done. Yeah, so that's my I'm, number i I'm three. not going
1: to disagree. Um, my number two... Um, was the big Palme d'Or winner last year, um, Deepan, and uh, it's from the great uh, French filmmaker Jacques Odiard, and it takes um, a a sort of makeshift family that come together at a Sri Lanka refugee camp, um, and they impersonate a dead trio. They get their passports, they fly to Paris, they're set up in a gang-infested housing complex, and then they try to uh, adjust to a very foreign society. Only the young girl learns, learns French, really. And and they try to create a family. And, and there's something extremely moving about this. Totally believable. Totally, the rhythms of their lives, very meticulously uh, presented. And um, the it was interesting because at 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 Cannes, I was one of the people who loved this movie. The critics were like, eh, you know, they didn't they didn't think it was that great, and then the jury, you know, went for it. So uh, uh, and it became uh, it did not become the uh, French submission. Uh, Mustang got that, but it just came out, and it's 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 really worth seeing.
0: Well, let me argue with you on this one, since we're agreeing about all these others too much. <laughs> just, just I think Jacques Odiard is a very accomplished filmmaker, and the last movie that he made that that really blew me away, A Prophet, was just such an extraordinary look at one man's kind of struggle between faith and responsibility. Yeah, just It was a gritty prison drama, but it also had the spiritual element to it, and you don't usually see those two things working in harmony. This one, I think, tries to do a couple of different things at once, and it's not totally successful at fusing them together in the sense that it, it goes into this kind of... Uh, Kitchen sink realism depicting the community that that these refugees move to, which I think is fairly effective, a little lethargic in parts, but then it just erupts into this action climax that simplifies the material in a way and cheapens it and and i i, I had an I
1: disagree issue that- with that Eric I think that that it you know given the the ex timel tiger Tamil Tiger's background, you know, it makes sense that he would be drawn into this gang conflict and he would have to use his, his soldier skills, you know, in order to to succeed. It didn't feel grafted on or, or not organic to me.
0: Well, it's it's certainly a well-directed action s- sequence in, in, in any case. And, and if people want to see that in a movie, then they won't leave unsatisfied. So it, I just feel like the, the, there may be something about that imbalance that makes this... It's hard to figure out exactly who is the audience for this movie, and I don't know... Again, what,
1: a very small, like, modest yeah. group of people have seen it yeah. so far.
0: It hasn't been a huge hit, but... A, bit a hard
1: sell, in any case. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I mean, that, I, I remember when that movie won the Palme d'Or. It, it did seem like it was sort of the natural result of a lot of different kinds of movies that weren't winning everybody over, and this was the one that had the most uh, possibilities in that respect. That there's, you know, it's a, it's got this great kind of immigrant story, and it's also got uh, a, a kind of traditionally enjoyable narrative to it and exciting climax and all these different kinds of things. So uh, there's a lot going on there for sure. Um, but, but I have to say my number two, I'd be surprised if, if you've seen it, but uh, it's, it's not an easy sell by anyone's standards, that, and that's Neon Bull, Gabriel Mascaro's Brazilian film, which uh, premiered uh, in the festival uh, circuit last fall and we've um, got a showcase in that new platform section that the Toronto Film Festival launched, which is showcasing filmmakers who are just a couple of features into their careers, not quite newcomers, but not quite veterans either. Mascaro is this really interesting guy who nobody in the U.S. really knows about, but he's actually been making a lot of really compelling documentary projects for a number of years. He did a movie called Housemaids, uh, which actually you can rent now on Vimeo, which is terrific. Um, where he actually gave uh, cameras to maids and had them document their experiences and and assembled a documentary about their work out of that footage. This film, Neon Bull, is sort of this documentary fiction hybrid about a bunch of Brazilian cowhands. It's at times very gorgeous and expressionistic look at the lives these people lead on sort of the fringes of civilization. And a lot of amateur actors and some professionals, but it'll go from capturing something that seems like cinema verite what it's like to wrestle with a bull in an arena in front of all these different people to something much more delicate like uh this this guy basically dancing with a bull against a black backdrop that may as well be some kind of you know operatic music video and it's also a very sensual film in the sense that it it gives you this Impression of a different kind of sexuality. These people actually are, are kind of relating to all of all of their peers in a way that doesn't really feel hetero or homosexual in the sense that it's it's much more about kind of the the universal bond that they all feel living in this in this marginalized existence. So I know that sounds heady, but it's a gorgeous film. It's it's haunting, and I wish more people knew about this filmmaker's work because it deserves that kind of recognition. Kino Lorber put it out. And uh, it had, I think, a solid run in New York. They did a little retrospective of his other films. But this is a guy who I I think, at least for the time being, is going to remain somebody who you really have to talk up and and kind of make the case for. And, And my hope is that... With a film like this, a few more people might notice it, so that more people will pile on when the next one comes around. So that's that's my number two. You're
1: right. I didn't see it. I'm (laughs) guilty as charged.
0: But but maybe eventually you will. Before yeah, no,
1: I'm open. I'm open. My um so my number one, uh, predictably, uh, much more mainstream uh, than yours. uh, Your your second um, is Maggie's Plan. Uh, writer-director Rebecca Miller's festival hit, um, you know, relationship triangle with Greta Gerwig, Ethan Hawke, and Julianne Moore, all at the top of their game, and, uh, I've been a fan of Miller's, uh, since 1995 when she made a movie called Angela, which broke out at, at Sundance, and this is her fifth movie, yeah, so this is someone who knows what they're doing, who's, this is her most accessible film, you know, very, very entertaining, and it, it is a mystery. It's, it's hanging in there. It's in limited release. It's by no means a failure, but it's a mystery to me that it hasn't sort of taken off in a in a bigger way. Sony Pictures Classics is is behind it. It's it's really well written and and incredibly well acted and delightful and fun and smart, set in the world of academia, and uh, I hope people check it out.
0: And they didn't really so far. <laughs>
1: Well, it's hanging in, as I said. It's actually holding on as it broadens. It's
0: not. It's not dying. Somebody asked us on Twitter <laughs> the other day whether they thought the title of the film was uh, a, a hindrance to its success. I don't
1: know why that would be. I don't know what the turnoff would be. I have. But I have wondered if if some people just feel like. I don't know. Is it too? Is it too female? Is it too Greta Gerwig? I just don't know what the resistance yeah, it, is. It's gotten I, great I think,
0: reviews. You may be onto something there. I, I spotted the trailer when I've gone to see other things, and um, the trailer does not make the case that this is the seminal, you know, comedy of the year that you need to see. Right? I mean, it just kind of feels like it's a light, fun, airy movie with. Ethan Hawk and Greta Gerwig, who I think people like, but they don't they don't have a strong kind of allegiance to them, the way that some actors have that kind of just really robust kind of following. But so the one not- who's
1: actually you know, should be getting an, an Oscar campaign is is Julianne Moore. I mean she's hilarious.
0: She's Yeah, but she's got this kind of hokey German accent that I think throws people I mean it's I think it-
1: it's supposed to be Danish.
0: Danish, okay. Well, so there you go. I can't even remember what it is because you know you just know Julianne Moore doing an accent, and I think that
1: I want people to see this. It's funny. It's it's worth seeing. Anyway, it's
0: a, it's a good movie. So I, what's I, your I number one? Yeah. My, so here's the thing: it's, I I like movies that show me uh, either completely new worlds that I knew nothing about, like Neon Bull and, and Brazilian Cowhands, or ways of seeing a world that I thought I knew in a completely new light. And and I think Wiener does that in such an extraordinary way, because this is a documentary that is also this great kind of political cartoon confirming some of the more outrageous ways in which we talked about Anthony Wiener's downfall, but also showing the extent to which the media was complicit in that. The, There was something about the way in which everybody just sort of relished the possibility of destroying this person that completely drowned out any other questions pertaining to whether or not he was qualified for public office and, you know, how his wife figured into all of this kind of stuff. I mean, you really feel for Huma Abedin in this movie much more so than I think any of the media speculation could have really achieved, because you see her sitting next to him and rolling her eyes, and the, the hubris that he has in terms of how he wants to continue to push ahead with this failing campaign, in contrast to you know her almost, almost uh, Lady Macbeth-like ability to, to kind of support him and, and, and still kind of remain sort of calculated on her own, is something I've never seen before outside of the fiction realm. And, and there's something about the accomplishment of this story they were able to turn this into a grand statement on just how much all of this stuff is B.S., from the the way in which political campaigns operate to the way in which people who are driven to be on the top of those things uh, end up kind of destroying themselves or compromising some element of their integrity. Uh, I'd love to see some variation on it about some of the campaigns that are going on right now on the national scale, but uh I also wonder about whether or not Anthony Wiener likes this movie or what his relationship to to it is it, It's a crucial voice missing at the table. This movie has done really well for i f c It was the biggest documentary opening of the year as I recall and um
1: sounds like an Oscar well, contender, too yeah, it's
0: still doing pretty well, and, and the thing is it's so entertaining but it but it's entertaining in a way that I don't think is cheap i think it's it's saying something that that's real. About the nature of this process, and also allowing you to have fun with it, and um, there's only, there's something transgressive about the kind of access that they got, quite frankly. And I just, the more and more I thought about it, the more I thought about how much I I just really felt satisfied with this movie. And you know, anything can happen over the course of the next six months, but for the time being, this one's getting the number one slot for a lot of different reasons.
1: It, it, you're actually reminding me of how much fun I had at, at the height of, you know, we had our California primary. You guys had New Jersey <laughs> this this right. week, and uh, I happened to be binging on House of Cards. I had seen like the first six episodes at the beginning of the season, and then I binged on the last seven and it, a lot of it is set in the election universe, and I highly recommend it for those who haven't uh, had a chance to. Uh, it, it's, it's a little too close for comfort, but it's also hugely
0: entertaining. You'll have to debate that with our pal Mike Schneider in the next edition of Emmy Screen Talk, which uh, I'll be around for as well, because I'll be in Los Angeles. Yes, you're
1: going to join us in person. Okay. That'll be great. All right, Eric, so I look forward to seeing you when you come back to uh, L.A. Have fun in yeah, Seattle.
0: Uh, thank you much.